recap of a ministry of stuff that we've done before, before COVID and after, and, and uh, food breakfast ministry that you saw there with the kids that we were doing. Uh, this was before COVID. Uh, that, of course, because of the government got shut down there. We were giving them breakfast before they would go to the school um, because a lot of them in the community, in the church that we was actually helping at that time, uh, they would go to school with an empty stomach. Um, and they didn't even have, some of them were so poor, they didn't have enough to be able to get lunch. So they would go to school with an empty stomach, be in school all day, and then come back home uh, without anything to eat. And I don't know about you, but uh, it's kind of hard to concentrate and focus uh, when your stomach's growling, you know. So uh, we are planning on starting something similar to that, but in a different venue, in a different area, in a different pueblo, different community, because the Lord has laid on our hearts, uh, we are going to start planting churches, and we're going to do a church plant, um, and I want to pick your brain when I get a chance, <laughs> uh, Pastor, uh, because this is something I've never done, and that's why we're still here, because we stayed behind to, uh, we just come back, uh, my wife and I, from training in California for church planting. Um, we was there for, for three days, and we went, we was in Laredo for one day, and then the next day we started driving all the way up uh, this way, <laughs> 2,000 miles. Um, so that's what we've been doing. And then we got that trip uh, to Africa. So if you want to sow a seed, whether it's to help us plant churches or help us go to Africa, to work, uh, I'm going to be doing some, they just messaged me the other day, uh, Celeste and Steve and Chanya, they're, they're in uh, Cape Cod, that's where they're out of, but they're over there in Malawi, um, they just informed me that in two days we're going to have three services, um, so if you can figure out how that's going to work, uh, it's not like uh, the American mentality. Uh, of have a service and go home, you know, they, they'll have service all day long. Um, I'm going to be teaching the, and, and discipling pastors and leaders, which is what I've been doing in Mexico for the last five years, in Guerrero, actually the last ten years, uh, working with pastors and building relationships. But now the Lord's leading us into pioneering a church. Um, and in this community, Igualapa, there's only a small group of believers there. We're not going to be working with them because that's with another pastor that we was working with. We separated uh, on good terms. We're going to go in another area of the city. And, but that little group has been there in that community where there's no other believers uh, for probably about six or eight years, and they've not grown more than 10 people. Um, so there's, there needs to be something to, to break uh, that stronghold of idolatry and that stronghold of religiosity um, in that area. So we're going to be doing prayer walks. We're going to be doing evangelistic outreaches. We're going to be, uh, my wife has a de desire because we've noticed in that community from working in the, with that small group that a lot of the, and this is because of COVID, uh, when, the church, when the school shut down in Mexico, uh, the kids lost that two years of schooling. Um, they sent them home and, and, and gave them homework and they were supposed to watch TV, but the vast majority of Mexicans don't have TV and if they're going to get it, 
connected to internet, they have to go to a cyber, uh, with you know, an internet cafe type thing, and they don't have the money to, to, to pay for that, um, to, to do their schoolwork. So the, the parents who are poor farmers, they're like, come on, son, come on, daughter, let's go out and we'll plant uh, or we'll harvest. Um, ain't not, you ain't going to sit around here all day doing nothing. Um, so the kids had two years of no school in these poor communities. In the bigger cities, it wasn't quite like that, but in these poor communities. So they're two years behind. And we even noticed that they were more behind than that because my wife had some in the Sunday school class or actually like children's church when I'm preaching. Um, she noticed that a lot of the 11, 12-year-olds couldn't even read uh, the text, the Bible. Um, and I noticed when I was teaching some of the adults um, that they couldn't even read. I tried to do things to help them. I would make out uh, handouts and stuff and, and tell them fill in the blank while they, you know, keep their attention. I mean, even that, I had to change my mentality because that was more of a distraction than it was a help for them because they couldn't write. And then they were talking to the neighbor, asking, what did he say? You know, and, and I'm there trying to compete. So even the adults uh, have, so we have to change our tactics. The way we preach and minister over there is not the way I'm going to preach and minister here. Um, it's a lot more one-on-one, uh, uh, -on -one, a lot more sitting and asking questions and, and just telling a story uh, from the scriptures. Uh, so, to get the message across to them. So, if you would pray with us, and we appreciate the support that you guys have given financially, because you guys are financial supporters of our ministry, and we appreciate that. Uh, we're, we're truly uh, grateful that you have been obedient to the Lord to, uh, to be participants, because the souls that we are, you know, you saw the baptisms, the water baptisms that we've been doing uh, with the churches. All those souls that come into the kingdom, you've had a part in that. Remember that. When you're sowing into a ministry, not just our ministry, not just, you know, uh, the Becks when they come, but any ministry that, that's outside of New Hampshire that you're sowing into, whether in prayer or in finances, you're going to reap a benefit. You're going to reap a reward. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, that says we must have faith to believe that God is and that he is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. He's a rewarder. God is a rewarder. Amen. He is a rewarder. So when you give, expect to be rewarded. Wow, don't shut me down now. <laughs> So when you give, expect to be rewarded. There's nothing wrong with that. When those farmers in Mexico go plant their, their, their corn, they expect to be rewarded for their hard work and their sweat and their toil. They don't go home and say, ah, well, whatever happens. Like some people, and that's how I grew up in church, hearing, no, I don't give to receive. Well, then you're not going to receive anything. What farmer goes into the field and plants not expecting to receive? That's stupidity. We need to change the way we think. There's nothing wrong with expecting to receive for the hard work and for what we're investing into the kingdom. If you have your Bibles this morning, 
the Lord gave me a message for you all. I hope to inoculate you and to inject you, not with a vaccine that will leave you only with half your body working, but I expect to inoculate you and inject you with, with faith this morning. Because the Lord told me to come and build your faith to encourage you. And I felt it in my spirit as I was worshiping that the enemy has tried to raise his ugly head. And that's all he can do is try. Really, seriously. We serve a victorious God and we are on the side that's going to win that it has won. The devil has no chance. Light is greater than darkness. He can't do anything except try. And when we open the door and allow him to have access and allow him to, to manipulate and control, then he's going to conquer us. Right. But when we realize who we are and who our God is and what side we're on, we will understand yeah. that there is nothing Hallelujah. the enemy can throw at us yeah. that can take us down. As long as we have got our faith anchored in him. He can't take us down. Hollywood likes to paint the devil as some big, bad, ugly thing. You know, you see these scenes where some priest goes into some haunted house. And you hear this voice that's supposedly the, the big, bad devil in there. Get out! And then you see the that that person gets thrown out and the windows blow out and the devil is not that powerful. Amen. He does have power, but he's not that powerful. God said, let there be light and there was light. Come on. The devil can't compare to that. I don't know of anything that the devil has said that's happened like that. But God's word is powerful. If you have your Bibles, turn to Mark chapter 11. Mark chapter 11. We're going to read verses 22 and 23. And I'm reading from the New Living Translation. Um, it's, it's, it's a lot more easier to understand. And, and uh, it's in modern uh, terminology. If you have the King James, then that's, that's fine. I grew up on the King James. Uh, Mark chapter 11, verses 22 and 23. Then Jesus said to the disciples, have faith in the U.S. government. Have faith in the U.N. Have faith in the World Economic. Have faith in NASDAQ. Have faith in God. Amen. Verse 23, I tell you the truth. You can say. Look to your neighbor and tell him. You can say. You can say to this mountain, may you be lifted up and thrown into the sea. And it will happen. It doesn't say maybe. Doesn't say if, 
What does will mean? It will. When someone says it will take place, it will. What's that? What's that inferring? Are you sure? You sure it's not just 99.999% going to happen? Because sometimes I hear people when I tell them what the scripture says, it will happen. They look at me like, nah, maybe, or possibly. And sometimes we read that, and we read right over that word. <coughs> Have faith in God. You can say to this mountain, may you be lifted up and thrown into the sea, and it will happen. Hallelujah. But you must really believe it will happen and have no doubt yes. in your heart. Any teeny tiny little bitty bit of doubt, and you just canceled the faith. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for this time to be in your presence. We thank you, Father, for this word. Father, I ask that you would hide me behind the cross, that I would not be seen. I ask that you would anoint my mouth, my lips, to speak as of an oracle of God and let me minister in the ability that you have given me so that you would receive all the glory and honor. And I pray if there is anyone here or anyone viewing that does not know you as Lord and Savior, they will humble themselves and repent and turn to you and receive you as Savior. And if there is anyone here in the sound of my voice or viewing that has allowed their faith to grow cold and allowed their relationship and they've drifted from you, Lord, I pray that you would prick their hearts and that they would humble themselves and return to you, Lord, this day. And I pray, Father, if there's anyone here that has been struggling because of the fiery darts of the wicked one that has been thrown at them, trying to take them down and take them out, Lord, that they would be encouraged and inspired this morning to have faith in you. Lord, be glorified. Be glorified this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen and amen. In this context of Scripture, if you read it in, in Mark chapter 11, he was on his way to uh, Jerusalem where he cleaned out the, the temple. And on his way, it says, he was hungry and he saw this fig tree and it wasn't producing fruit, but it wasn't time for it to produce fruit. And he went over looking for fruit even though it wasn't time for it to produce fruit. And he got upset. Jesus got upset. And he cursed that tree and said, you'll never produce fruit for anybody. You will die at the root. Think about it. It wasn't time for it to produce fruit. He went on down. He dealt with the temple. He made a whip, threw out the money changers, Overturned tables, drove him out with a whip, and that was a premeditated thing. He didn't just make the whip, you know, he made the whip ahead of time. You read it in the Greek. He premeditated that. Premeditated anger. Oh, but we can't get angry. Yeah, we can get angry, but not sin. It's what we do with the anger. What's it do to motivate us? throw our fists through walls and doors and throw stuff around or 
actually do something constructive like what Jesus did. Then he come back, and we see in this text it says, Jesus said to the disciples, have faith in God, because the disciples at this moment when he said this, they said, look, there's that tree you cursed. It's dead. And he says this in context. Jesus says to them, have faith in God. I tell you the truth. You can say to this mountain, may you be lifted up and thrown into the sea and it will happen. You must really believe it will happen and have no doubt in your heart. Faith is the thing that we need to fight to keep. Paul said, I have fought the good fight of faith. I ran the course. In Ephesians chapter 6, it tells us that the, the shield of faith quenches all the fiery darts of the wicked. So those things that have been thrown at you this week or this month can be quenched and destroyed if you maintain your faith and you have your faith in God. I like what George Mueller said. He said, faith does not operate in the realm of the possible. There is no glory for God in that which is humanly possible. Faith begins where man's power ends. Faith begins where man's power ends. And it's faith that unlocks the doors of heaven that allows us to experience the glory of God. It allows us to experience that which is naturally and even logically impossible to experience. There's a foolishness of faith. Have faith in God, but there's foolishness to faith. Proverbs chapter 11, verse 24. Proverbs chapter 11, verse 24 says, Give freely and become more wealthy. What? Be stingy. And lose everything. What? That don't make sense. I'm losing everything by giving it away and I'm going to have more? But if I keep trying to hold it all in, I'm going to lose it all? That doesn't make sense. It isn't sound. Someone is losing but is increasing. Someone is keeping all he has and is losing everything. It's not logical. It goes against everything that we were taught, everything that we know. But God tells us to lose our life and we will keep it. But if we try to keep our life, we're going to lose it. What profit is it for a man to gain the whole world but he's going to lose his own soul. It's telling us that our soul is much more valuable than all of the earth's resources. And we got to lose our life in order to keep it. we got to lose our life in order to keep it. Maybe the root of some of our financial issues is because we're being too stingy. And we don't really have enough faith in God To see him do the work. That's the whole purpose of giving. That's the whole purpose of, of giving tithe. And I'm not going to get into that. But tithe is a New Testament thing. It never was abolished. 
Jesus said, I came not to do away with the law and the prophets, but to fulfill them. Wasn't done away with. And he didn't condemn, he didn't condemn the religious people for doing their tithe. He said, you give your tithe of all your herb gardens and all the smallest things. Give a tenth of everything. But you've forgotten the greatest thing, to walk justly before the Lord and to have mercy. He didn't condemn them for tithing. The whole purpose is to, to cause us to die to ourselves and to not be so egocentric and selfish and to realize where our source is. The Lord told me to give a certain amount of money and I struggled with it just recently. And after I couldn't sleep, he was dealing with me. So finally, I, I gave part of it. <laughs> I only gave part of it. No, I didn't get no peace. Kill step struggling. So a little while later, I gave the rest of it. And it was no small amount either. And I was wrestling, and, and, and then I got the peace. And I'm like, okay, great. And I was actually waiting for God to do something. And I'm, I, I, I'm still believing. And he has been. He's been teaching me something. Because this trip around has been different. We come out of Mexico, and I looked at the checkbook, and I'm like, man, how are we going to make it to Laredo on that? And then... Something happens, and we're able to get there and do what we need to do. And then we had a service uh, up in Missouri. And driving from Laredo to Missouri, I, how much do we have in the, the checkbook? Like, what, 100 bucks at that time? A little bit more than 100 bucks. And we had to drive all the way up to Missouri with the place to get the way it was from Laredo to, to Missouri. Um, I was scratching my head. That's like, but the Lord provided. The Lord did over and above and beyond and blew our socks off. And the same thing when we were to come up here. We got back from California for the, for the trip, and, and I looked at the checkbook before we left Laredo. I, I'm going to quit looking at the checkbook <laughs> after the second time because we had just about... 200 and some dollars, and we had to drive 2,000 miles and spend two nights in a hotel, and hotels are not cheap nowadays on the way up. But the Lord supplied, the Lord provided. The Lord will make a way. It's foolish to give. It's foolish to step out of the boat and try to walk on water like Peter. Peter said to Jesus, if that's you, bid me to come. Jesus said, sure, come on. He didn't do like what some of us do. I don't know about that. That's water. I've never, that, that's against physics. That's against science, man. I'm going to sink. No, he jumped out. See, that's why Peter was able to do. He didn't think. Yeah, he ate a lot of shoe leather till he got filled with the Holy Ghost. Open mouth, insert foot, because he didn't think. But God used that to do great things, to extend the kingdom. It's foolish. Isaac in, I believe, uh, Genesis, I believe it's chapter 26, 
I'm not sure if I'm right with the, with the chapter. But Isaac, there was a great famine, a great drought in the land. And the, the surrounding people sent him away because he kept prospering in the drought. They tried to fill in the, the, the wells. He just kept digging another one. They'd come and fill that one. He'd dig another one. They'd fill another one in until finally he got that they weren't doing that anymore. God kept prospering him. He was one that fell in poo and came out smelling like roses. That's what happens with God's people. We fall in the sewer. We come out smelling like roses because we cannot be pushed under. We cannot be pushed under. We need to change our mentality and have faith in God. He's not out to destroy us. He's not out to beat us down. He's not out to, to chastise you this morning. Doesn't matter where you're at in your walk. It doesn't matter what you've been dealing with. You're here because you have something in your heart that's telling you that I need to hear something this morning to help me go the rest of the way. And God wants to build that faith. God wants to encourage that. There's foolishness in faith. Give freely and become more wealthy. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20 through 25. This is Pastor Freddy's in my uh, class scripture. Because we were a bunch of nobodies. Still ain't much of anybody without Christ. We were the, oh, I won't go there. <laughs> but I think some of the professors, some of the, 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 some of the, some of the teachers were scratching their heads wondering if we were going to graduate. And then after we walked down the aisle, I think they were scratching their heads wondering how many of us were going to make it. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20 through 25. So where does this leave the philosophers? The scholars, the world's brilliant debaters, God has made the wisdom of this world look foolish. Since God in his wisdom saw to it that the world would never know him through human wisdom, he has used our foolish preaching to save those who believe. It is foolish to the Jews who ask for signs from heaven. And it is foolish to the Greeks who seek for human wisdom. So we preach Christ was crucified, that the Jews are offended, and the Gentiles say it's all nonsense. But to those called by God to salvation, both Jews and Gentiles, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. The foolish plan of God is wiser than the wisest of human plans. And God's weakness is stronger than the greatest of human strength. There's no intelligent here in this earth that can outsmart the creator of the universe. And it's arrogance to think, think otherwise. It's arrogant and foolish to think that we know better than God. Have faith. 
Have faith. Say to your neighbor, have faith in God. Have faith in God. And it seems foolish to the world. Isaac planted in that time of famine. How many of us got to go and plant potatoes when there is no rain? Or plant corn when there is no rain? Any of you ever seen the, the movie or read uh, uh, Faith Like Potatoes? About the man in Africa. He went and planted in a drought. It never rained. Planted potatoes. Never rained the whole time, but he harvested the most potatoes when it was time to harvest. The top was all withered and brown and ugly looking, but the potatoes grew under the ground because he had faith. This man had faith. God used this man to raise people from the dead. God used, and this man was a drunkard. I believe he was a Scottish uh, man from Scotland living there in, in, in Africa, in South Africa. He had a violent temper. He was known. A lot of the slaves that worked with him, uh, they didn't like, you know, when he got mad, they, they'd run and hide because he was violent. But God saved him, and he changed. And as a result, a lot of the slaves that he had got saved, and the villagers around started getting saved because he would go and testify of the goodness of the Lord. He became, this man became so touched by God that his, his personality was transformed. And that's what happens when we get connected, when we have faith in God. He will transform. He takes the foolish, the, the garbage that the world says is garbage, and he turns it into a treasure, into a testimony. John chapter 6, John chapter 6 and verse 1 and 2, it says, After this, Jesus crossed over to the far side of the Sea of Galilee, also known as the Sea of Tiberias. A huge crowd kept following him wherever he went. Because they saw his miraculous signs as he healed the sick. Then Jesus climbed a hill and sat down with his disciples around him. And it was nearly time for the Jewish Passover celebration. Jesus soon saw a huge crowd of people coming to look for him. Turning to Philip, he asked, where can we buy bread to feed all these people? Verse 6, he was testing Philip for he already knew what he was going to do. Philip replied, even if we worked for months, we wouldn't have enough money to feed them. And Andrew, Simon's Peter brother, spoke up. There's a young boy here with five barley loaves and two fish. But what good is that with this huge crowd? Jesus says, tell everyone to sit down. So they sat down on the grassy slopes. The men alone numbered about 5,000. The men alone. And you know the story. They passed out the bread. They broke it, passed it out. All 5,000, it says here in this translation. And they all ate as much as they wanted. Woo! <laughs> all as much as they wanted to eat from five barley loaves and two fish. Just 5,000 men, not including the women and children. So that easily could have been just with women if every man had, had a woman with him. A wife, that's 10,000 right there. And then if they had one or two kids running around. We don't think of it that way. 
But that's the type of miracle that Jesus did. And he said to Philip, where can we buy bread? Nobody knowing. He's telling you, go do this. Go give this. Give this much time. Sometimes it's a test because God knows what he's going to do. Hey, man, if I do that, if I, like me, if I give that amount, I'm not going to have money to go to the, to the states. We're going to pass the test. We're going to fail it today. Have faith in God and you will always pass the test. Have faith in God and you will always pass the test. Have faith in God and you will always pass the test. It's foolish. Doesn't make sense. Doesn't all add up. We need to quit trying to rationalize and humanly analyze the things of God because the things of God cannot be humanly figured and fathomed out. They can't be. They can't be. Scientists are now banging their heads on the wall because of that new telescope that's showing all the images and everything of the, of the stars and stuff. Now, my son was telling me, because he follows it, he's a science fanatic. He loves science. He says now they're, they're scratching their head about the Big Bang Theory that they thought, because now they're finding proof that it, it's not happening the way it should have happened if it was a Big Bang. We can't humanly... Figure God out. That's why it says in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. You've got to have faith, and without faith, it's impossible to please God. It's foolish. It's foolish to, to, to believe that God would heal me of hemochromatosis. That's an incurable condition. It's genetic. It's from my Scottish-Irish background. It's in my DNA. It was in my DNA. But God healed me, delivered me, rewrote my DNA. Because if he didn't, I wouldn't be standing here preaching. I would be sicker than a dog. He can heal that diabetes that you have this morning. He can heal those joints. He can heal whatever it is, your lungs. Nothing is impossible with God if we would have faith. It's foolish to the medical world. It's foolish to the science world. It's foolish to the human race. Now, what are you going to trust that for? Doesn't make sense. Did it make sense that Peter walked on water? Does it make sense that five barley loaves and two fish fed more than 5,000 people? Hello? And God did not change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. These are not just fantasy stories that, that ended when the apostles died. This continues today. Thank you, 
The foolishness of faith demands that we leave the human logic behind. The foolishness of faith demands that we look at things as God looks. The foolishness of faith demands that we demonstrate our faith. When I was... When we came up here in 2020, in the beginning of 2020, and, and the Lord said, go. I said, hey, Lord, I need a sign. My sheep know my voice. Go. Lord, I need a sign. My sheep know my voice. Go. And finally, I came, and the Lord, I saw the Lord move in a way when we were up here in 2020 and, and went back. And even that, when you saw that shiner in the, in the video there, that happened January 26, 2021, when we were crossing the border. Long story short, I tried to outrun the bad guys. The bad guys finally caught me. They were upset, and they punched me in the, in the face. They asked for all our money. We gave all our money. And when I came to, they were asking for more money because we didn't give them enough. They wanted a certain amount. I told them, look. We're not rich. We're missionaries. We work with the church. That's what's all this stuff in this van. It's, it's donations to the church. And his eyes went like this. You're a missionary? Yes. You got Bibles, he says. I said, yeah, they're all strewed around in the back there for now trying to outrun you. But I grabbed the, the pamphlets of Matt, studying Matthew, and I handed him, and he took one. He looked at it. He scurried back off to the guys there that were waiting in the truck. And then he came back, and when he came back, they all came out like soldiers. And my wife's like, oh, equally, what's going on now? And they all come out, and he reaches in with his hand and says, Dios es grande. God is big. God is great. And in his hand was all of the money that we had given him. 100% of it. How many of you know of somebody that's gotten robbed, assaulted, and then the thief gives the money back? I'm telling you, God is all-powerful, but we need to believe that he is. When it's not your time to go, it ain't your time to go, and it doesn't matter what you're facing. Doesn't matter if you're looking down the barrel of a gun. It doesn't matter if you just got pummeled by a nautical. It doesn't matter if it's not your time to go. It's your time to keep on preaching and keep on trusting God. It's foolish to this world. On the way coming out this time, we was up on the, the, the toll road in Mexico City, zipping right along. Everything was going great. And we would come down off the toll road. It was just Lizzie and my, myself. Christopher was up, up here in the States. Um, there was a cop car parked there uh, with no lights. And I barely went by him. And then he comes flying out on the interstate, the federal highway. You know, the interstate's like 95 and 495. Those are federal in Mexico. And city cops don't have jurisdiction in Mexico on the federal highways. And this was a city cop. He come flying out, no lights, no headlights, no taillights, nothing was on. And it was 6 o'clock, 6.30 in the morning, and it was still dark. Sun don't come up quite nearly as quick as it does here. 
It was still dark. I had my headlights on and everything. Every other car on the road had their headlights on. And he's doing the same things the narcos did, just waving out the window trying to tell us to pull over. I ain't pulling over. I took off. Long story short, I finally pulled over and got off the side of the road. There was no place really to pull over on the they, on and federal highways in Mexico. They don't make no shoulders. The shoulders into a ravine or something. Or in Mexico City, it's into a building. You got a high-speed interstate going right through buildings, right? So I pull over in this dirt area, and he's arguing with us. That, you know, I didn't speak uh, my, my Spanish. I said, hey, how you doing? Great day. Good morning. And he looks at me. So he starts conversing with Lizzie and going back and forth and everything. And uh, his partner stayed in the car. Well, long story short, his partner, I don't know what happened, but he took his car and he backed out into the interstate, no lights on, boom, right in the tailgate of that Nissan Versa, total. I get on the interstate, see ya, goodbye, <laughs> and I go my way, and Lizzie's like, really, God think, God do that? And she told me later that she was thinking that she was reminded by the Holy Spirit how God many times caused the enemies of Israel to be so confused they killed themselves, amongst themselves. I don't know what God did right then and there with that police officer, but he just scrambled his brains or whatever. He didn't. I don't think he had any much to be scrambled anyway because he's riding on an interstate in the middle of the night, no lights on to begin with with cars just flying, and then he backs out in there, and then he's got to explain why he's on a federal highway out of his jurisdiction, and the trunk of that Nissan Versa was up over the rear axles, into the back seat, seriously. The guy that hit him somehow got unhooked, and he took off too. <laughs> and we eventually passed him, and he's driving along, clunk, 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 clunk. So, God, if we will have faith in God, he can create things. God knew the motives of those police, what he was just going to try to extort the blue-eyed white man, or anybody, doesn't matter if he's blue-eyed white man, anybody that they pull over, they're going to extort him because he wasn't going to give us a piece of paper. He kept telling us to try to get off the interstate. We'll talk about it. Well, what did we do wrong? We'll talk about it. Come off the interstate. Well, he wanted to get us in their jurisdiction. It's foolish. It's foolish to have faith in God. Faith in God creates a fire. There's a fire or a passion of faith. A fire or a passion of faith. In Nehemiah chapter 3, verse 20, one of the builders uh, next to him, Baruch, son of Zabai, who zealously repaired an additional section from the angle to the door of the house of Elishib, the high priest. This guy was zealous, passionate, that he did extra of rebuilding of the wall. Faith in God. Romans chapter 12, verse 11. Never be lazy, 
but work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. Serve the Lord with everything that you have. When you serve the Lord, you're loving Him with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your strength. You're demonstrating your faith to the world. It's foolish for me to drive three hours to come here this morning and preach. How many of you would drive three hours? After about five hours of sleep and driving four days. It's foolish, but there is a faith that produces a fire and a passion and a zeal in our lives so to serve the Lord and to give forth his message so that we can see the kingdom enlarged and see souls saved and people set free and people delivered because we have the answer. We have the answer. One believes me. We have the answer, folks. You have the answer. Have faith in God. John chapter 2 verse 13 says, It was nearly time for the Jewish Passover celebration, so Jesus went to Jerusalem. In the temple area he saw merchants selling cattle, sheep, and doves for sacrifices. He also saw dealers at the tables exchanging foreign money. Jesus made a whip from some ropes and chased them all out of the temple. He drove out the sheep and the cattle, scattered the money changers, coins all over the floor, turned over their tables. Then going over to the people who sold the doves, he told them, get these things out of here and stop turning my father's house into a marketplace. Verse 17, then his disciples remembered this prophecy from the Psalms. Passion for God's house will consume me. Passion for God's house will consume me. We need that faith to produce a fire and a passion for congregating together and for the things of God that it will consume us. You understand why Jesus was so upset? That area where they were selling the cattle and everything was what they called the, gen the court of the Gentiles. That's the only place that you and I, if we were alive in that day, would ever be able to enter or set foot in the temple to worship God. But if it's full of cows and sheep and everything else, we're not going to be allowed. So the zeal and the passion that Jesus Christ had for the lost and for people not being able to enter into the house of the Lord to worship provoked him to such fierce anger that he was violent, throwing things everywhere, driving out the sheep and the cattle. But we as Gentiles, if we don't study and, and research, and we just read, oh, man, Jesus, you've got an anger issue. You need anger management. <laughs> That's just not right. That's not politically correct. You've got to be tolerant, Jesus. <laughs> they have a different different truth except the that's not right to force your belief on them you see where we're going we've lost the fire 
We need to have faith in God to reignite this fire. Colossians chapter 3, verse 23, work willingly at whatever you do as though you are working for Pastor Freddy. <laughs> no, it doesn't say that. And I'm aware you guys, you guys laughing, you, you, you're aware it doesn't say that too. <laughs> Work willingly at whatever you do as though you are working for the Lord rather than for people. Remember that the Lord will give you an inheritance as your reward. Whoa, there it is again. What did I say earlier? God is a rewarder. It's not wrong to expect a reward. It's not wrong to do it. I'm doing this for a reward. I'd be lying to you to tell you that I'd beat my body to preach the gospel and suffer what I suffer if I wasn't doing it for a reward. But my reward is an eternal reward. Not the applause of men and women, but an eternal reward. To hear my master, to hear my, the lover of my soul. Say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter in to the joy of the Lord. Well done. You read that scripture of those, those servants there that received the talents? One received five. One received two. And one received one. You know what happened, right? The one that had five multiplied them, and he turned in ten. The one that had two multiplied them, turned in four. The one that had one dug a hole and buried it. Did nothing. And what that one he had was given to the one that had ten. Whoa, wait a minute. I thought God was a socialist. <laughs> that doesn't sound like a socialistic government to me. And really, one wouldn't have gotten five if he was a socialist. They all would have got the same amount. And then at the end, they all would have had the same amount, no matter how hard or little they worked. But that's not what we see in Scripture. And in Scripture, it says he gave according to their ability. Some of us have more ability to handle more responsibility or more talents and gifts than others. And God has given us all those abilities and talents because he understands we have the ability to actually multiply and benefit the kingdom. But what are we doing with what we have? Have faith in God. And let the foolishness of faith instill a fire and a passion within you to serve the Lord. Remember, the Lord will give you a reward. Have faith in God. The foolishness of faith is what looks crazy to this world. It's, it's idiotic. Why? This church, these people, is sending people you know what I heard recently? Some people amongst the, uh, the millennials and, and Generation Z view missions as colonizing <laughs> other, because they don't have an understanding. 
because of the lack of the presentation. And we saw it 10 years ago, right, babe? When we got into doing missions and, and, and telling people what we've done and what we're doing and what we're going to do, they look at us with a blank look on their face and they're like, huh? How many of you went to, to David Beck, went down there on that missions trip? Anybody here this morning that went down there? You got a different view of what missions is all about now, don't you? So now when you hear missionaries come through, you're going to be able to relate. You're going to be able to understand. There's some things that we can try to communicate as, as effectively and eloquently as we can, but you'll never catch it unless you go and do it. You'll never understand the sacrifice of someone unless you walk, like the Indian says, walk a mile in his moccasin, and you'll know the road he's traveled. But let's bring that right down home to Rochester, New Hampshire. How many people in the community, how many people in our family, do we, I was thinking on the, on the way down because uh, as we was coming down, we, we, there was a car in front of me, and, and he pulled off, and as he was pulling off, he, he told me how great I was, and I was number one. And I'm like, God bless you. I don't know what I did, but you must be having a rough day and a rough life. May you come to know Jesus, the peace of your heart. And I begin to think, how many times do we get reactions like that? And we're like, what? We're bebopping along with joy, joy, joy. And, and somebody comes along and rains on our parade. And we're like, huh? We don't understand because we've lost. The, we've got to disconnect ourselves. We need to connect. To Jesus Christ, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the power, Thank you, Lord. the resurrection power. Have faith in God. Whatever you're facing this morning, whatever you're dealing with this morning, stand to your feet. God is more than able and more than willing to meet you where you're at. He does not want you to leave this place the same way you came. He does not want you to leave this. Did you hear me? He does not want you to leave this place the same way you came. That is not God's will. God's will is to take us from glory to glory, from victory to victory, and from faith to faith. He wants us to grow and go forward. He doesn't want us to go backwards. I don't see anywhere in Scripture that anybody that came to God that he rejected. I don't see anybody that came to God that he made their life go backwards, worse than what it was before. The woman that had the issue of blood, she said, if I could just touch the hem of his garment. And immediately she was healed. She wasn't worse off for touching God. She wasn't worse off from coming into the presence of God. She was better off. And I tell you this morning, whatever situation you're facing, whatever circumstance you're in, God wants to make you better off. Hallelujah. If you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I want to open up this time and give you the opportunity if you're here, you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You never said, Lord, 
I'm a sinner. I need you. My life is a mess. Yes, God. Yes, God. Hallelujah. You'd like to raise your hand and say, yes, that's me. I, I don't know Jesus. He's not my Lord. He's not my Savior. Is there anyone here? Anyone? Hallelujah. If you're here and you're... Your walk with the Lord has drawn cold because of the fiery darts of the evil one. Has distracted you. Has sidetracked you. Has discouraged you. Has caused you to put up some walls, maybe. Made it, made it difficult for you to want to come to the house of fellowship. You don't have that fire because... And you want to say, that's me. Raise your hand. Raise your hand. Hallelujah. Thank you for being honest. Thank you for being honest. Why don't you come and find a place at this altar? Whatever you have need of. You're one of those that raised your hand. You need healing this morning. Come to the King of Kings, the source of healing. The source of strength. Come and have faith in God this morning. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.